Welcome to another edition of Fashion Council. My name is Anthony Lupo, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Amy Antonioli. Thanks, Amy. Nice to be here. Thank you. Amy, one of the hot areas that I'm hearing about is ESG. Uh, a lot of our retail clients are very interested in understanding what this is. Can, can you explain what ESG is? Yes, ESG or environmental, social and governance is really about identifying risks and opportunities in each industry. And for each industry, it's going to look very different. Um, but for the fashion industry, there are some common areas of concern. Um, for example, water use and producing textiles, also chemical dyes or treatments or coatings used in producing textiles, and then also carbon emissions and human rights issues in supply chains. And I have to say that really the focus this past year has been on supply chain issues with everything that's been going on in the world and also recent legislation. So E stands for environmental, S is for? Social. And then G? Governance. Okay. So where would supply chain fall in on that? Supply chain can fall under all three. E, S, and G. And I would say that, you know, really the, the main goal here is to identify material risks in the industry and then take steps towards reducing those risks. You, you mentioned that the hot issue right now that retailers are facing is supply chain. And, and I get that. We have a lot of clients that are having real problems getting products into the States, meeting the orders. Sometimes they come here and the products are out of season already in some instances. But from an ESG perspective, what, what, what's the issue there? Is it, is it uh, the, the supply chain? Is it, is it affecting the environment, waste of product? Uh, you know, help me understand what the, the hot issue is there. Yeah, really all of the above. And if I can for a minute use cotton for an example, cotton accounts for a third of the fiber used in the industry. And it is does have a lot of benefits. It's a plant-based product. It's a natural fiber, but it does use more water than you would think. So part of addressing supply chain issues is being more thoughtful about how the fibers are processed. Right. And there's a lot of organizations that are now working towards creating more resilient supply chain and more resilient um, sustainable options product, right. for, for companies. And, and some of that depends on even the type of cotton we're using now. Right. Yes. The type of cotton and how it's produced. I mean, these organizations are working towards really educating the industry and in how to select sustainable suppliers, where to source your materials from. They're also educating suppliers and providing certifications so that the industry can go to these certified suppliers and know that they're getting a more sustainable product. Have some confidence, right, yes. that they're able to push through. Uh, we do a lot of work in the denim space, and I know one of the big issues there is really the dying of the, the products and the amount of you know runoff from that. The, the, mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate that there's uh, an environmental issue there, and I know that we're looking at ways to to really reduce that and where it's done, how it's recycled, how it's clean, cleaned up, and the like. Um, but with cotton, uh, I, I didn't appreciate how much water is involved in the process. Mm -hmm. so. And these luxury brands are really leaders in this area. There's one denim producer that is um, really recycling its water and mm. reducing the amount of water used overall and the amount of chemicals that are going back into the environment. So luxury brands are really leading the way. And there's a lot more work to be done. A lot of um, some 
Some manufacturers are also recycling the fibers and cre creating a really high quality fiber from waste materials. Yeah, that's that great. Reused. And that's a big upseller in this uh, market right now where you're, you're taking product and sometimes up, up what, what's the term, upgrading it, upselling Upcycling, it? Upcycling, yes. Upcycling it. So you gave some, some good examples of what retail companies are doing to really reduce their footprint. What are other things that you've seen retail companies doing to try to reduce their impact on the environment? Yeah, it's a big issue to address carbon emissions and reduce the, the carbon footprint. According to the World Bank, the fashion industry accounts for 10% of the annual global emissions. Mm. So there really are initiatives that are underway to address this, um, purely from a point of view where the, the company does not really need to change its operations in any fundamental way. There are some initial steps that can be taken to purchase materials from facilities that run on renewable energy to install renewable energy at the at the company's manufacturing facility and that's actually a great way that's not an i mean that that's an easy fix and i know it has a price on it but an easy fix to be able to reduce your carbon footprint to be able to at least try to find recyclable or solar or something to help the the factories run to reduce that that that's something i think uh, as more retail companies push their factories to, to do that, uh, there'll be a real advantage on, on maybe reducing the footprint for the yes, whole. Yes, definitely. And I think then moving towards more fundamental changes, the whole idea is moving from a linear economy to a circular economy. And that's digging a little deeper, really trying to design out waste from the product to begin with and to keep materials in use or recycled um, longer, and then to regenerate these natural ecosystems. So one of the things I've been reading about recently is using the metaverse to really reduce the environmental footprint, which is kind of uh, an oxymoron when you consider the fact that the crypto burn cost for the environment is not great. But I guess if, if the products uh, are being done uh, in a way, we're using a, a, a type of coin where uh, that has less pull on the environment. This this could be a real potential, right? It really could be a great potential. And the metaverse is positioned to really reduce the carbon footprint for many industries, including the fashion industry. Take digital clothing, for example. You can really address marketing, modeling, and sampling mm -hmm. before a product is even produced. Yeah. And then that can really reduce the carbon emissions of the life cycle of that right. product. So if the, the product's not selling in the metaverse, it might not sell in the real world, is your point. That's true. Yeah. Or it reduces airfare and <laughs> flying back and forth to sample. And, and you know, when we, we joke and people are thinking about the metaverse, but don't forget, this also includes the blockchain and everything else. And one of the big problems that we're finding with a lot of our clients is that when uh, you have to identify where the product's from, it's very difficult to ensure that you know where all the elements are from. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually putting the supply chain into a blockchain, you're going to know everything really quickly. Yes. So. Yes. And there is a big push towards digital project, product passports. And this is a really exciting initiative in the fashion industry and can really help target supply chain issues that we discussed previously. Um, the digital project product passport can be used to verify compliance with environmental laws. It can identify the materials used in a product, 
whether they were produced sustainably, and who's previously owned the product. And so overall, and this, we're just in the initial innings of this, and there's a lot of investment and time that goes into rolling out this infrastructure, but it can really provide a lot of benefits. Yeah, and the, and the sourcing is going to be much easier to be able to identify, especially with customs and duties, and if there's a recall. We had an interesting case where we had a couple clients sued for false advertising, claiming they were using Egyptian cotton, when in fact they were using Egyptian cotton, but because of the processing, the DNA had been changed, and so when one of the plaintiff's lawyers tested it, they challenged that claim. Now you'd be able to show, look, this product was 100% Egyptian cotton at inception, but you know, and, and avoid the lawsuit altogether, whether it addresses the final product or not, it's a different story, but that's one of the ways we're seeing a lot of people really address some of the, the sourcing issues. Yep, that's the goal here. So that's a good lead into the Unsold Products Act. Um, uh, we have heard a lot about the French law and some of the European laws, and we actually have one in New York as well that deals with unsold product and what you can do with it. I think the French is probably the most restrictive, right, that you've seen? That I've seen, yes. France recently passed the anti-waste law for a circular economy to really, it prohibits the destruction of unsold waste. And that is a really big issue. There is one estimate out there that a truckload of clothing is either incinerated or landfilled every second. And a lot of that is attributable to unsold product. So this French law that is that just took effect at the beginning of 2022 would ban the destruction of unsold product and requires really sets in motion these requirements for uh, manufacturers and importers in France to recycle or reuse unsold product. And so let's turn to the New York law, which I've talked about in the past. Uh, that, it's, it, that's a different law, but, but it has some of the same elements, right? The Fashion Act, yes, that was proposed, but it was not adopted. So the rumor is that legislators are regrouping to improve the law and reintroduce it. Um, it was criticized for very strict penalties. Yeah, and I've criticized it before in the past. It, it was a, a good intention law but it would have been a class action nightmare for companies that, and, and made it virtually impossible to comply with. Uh, and the penalties were such that it was astronomical, could have put a comp many companies out of business. But what it really does is signal this trend, which is moving towards mapping supply chains, requiring the fashion industry to really be accountable and transparent uh, with its supply chains and take responsibility. And that's gonna be, you have couched to some extent with trade secret laws because it's one thing to say I sourced certain product from Peru. It's another to have to identify the factory I'm using and the craftsman because as we all know, there's a lot of trade secrets in how these companies and, and where they're sourcing their products and the like and what factories in particular. In, in, in this vein, there was an open letter that I think was, the, the intent was good behind it where a lot of fashion companies and, and designers and people signed on to this open letter uh, advocating for really a change in the way the fashion industry is doing business, talking about the cycles and the like. Uh, you're familiar with that, right? Yes. So what, what does that letter say in particular? 
The open letter to the fashion industry really discussed um, how to reduce social and environmental impact in the fashion industry and also how to coordinate seasonal runway shows to reduce travel, which in turn reduces carbon emissions um, and lengthens the season where where these companies can offer full-priced items. Now, it was met with antitrust claims, but like you said, I think it really, the intent was was a good one and really signaled this trend towards addressing environmental and social issues that fall under ESG. Um, We'll see how this plays out in the future. And the problem was, a lot of people got themselves in trouble by signing on to this letter with no intent that they were getting themselves in trouble because there are a number of government investigations going on against people that signed this letter under an anti-competitiveness. And there was a line in there that talked about when are they gonna give discounts and the like. But the intent was really to deal with this ESG issue. But because some of the wrong language was used, the regulators are now looking at this. Um, Hopefully this ends in the right space and People appreciate that this was done not from a pricing perspective, but from an ESG perspective. So uh, it's just something you have to think about when you're signing on to these letters, not appreciating that they could have anti-competitive components. Yes, definitely something to think about and one that does signal this trend towards something um, greater in the industry. Right. So what I I think about a lot is who's really driving this uh, movement, this ESG movement? Um, I know that everybody wants to do the right thing with ESG, and it is the right thing, but I've yet to see consumers really line up behind this. I mean, it's one thing that they say they want this, but when you look at their purchasing habits, I I really don't see them spending the money in their their wallet behind ESG products. I see them looking at the existing products they like and they're comfortable with, and if those are more sustainable, great, but they're buying that product. Is that your experience? Yes, uh, I agree with you. Consumers are very inconsistent in their purchasing behaviors. One day they will buy a fast fashion product and the next they will buy a product that is in the circular economy and really thoughtful about the sustainable impacts, environmental impacts of the product. So I think really the big brands are driving the bus still, but they are reading what consumers are choosing and reading the future. And I think it's a lesson for the industry as a whole that the product still has to look good. It still has to have the right feel about it and the texture. That's what people love about fashion. They want to, you know, feel the textiles. They want to feel the fabrics. And so the industry has to figure out how to still create this experience while while also being more sustainable. And we had talked about the carbon footprint was an easy one for, you know, at least bringing recyclable or solar in to help reduce that. So... Yes, and there's so many great initiatives underway. There's a long way to go, but there's really progress being made. And then the the trick for the industry is to be careful on a lot of these claims, because once you start saying that, you're gonna have to back it up. And as we just heard, uh, there is no real definition for a lot of this. Different countries, different states are gonna come out with what the law is. And we've talked to you before about greenwashing and other interviews. And so this is something that uh, you're just gonna have to keep monitoring as it evolves. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Great to be here.